Welcome to episode 308 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiathurlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, I'm about to tell you how to get my favorite electrolytes for free, plus special announcement, Element's new chocolate medley is here. So when you think electrolytes, you might think summer and hot times and needing to stay hydrated. But did you know that hydration is actually super important in cold weather as well? There's an idea out there that cold weather reduces our hydration needs. That's not true. So in the cold, two main things can actually increase our metabolic rate. You may be working harder, tramping through the snow, and you can be wearing cumbersome winter clothing that can actually raise your energy needs by 10 to 20%. And as your metabolic rate raises, your sweat rate raises, and you need to replace those fluids with electrolytes. You also lose more water when it's cold through your breath. That's because cold temperatures contain significantly less water than hot temperatures, aka it's drier outside. When you breathe in that cold, dry air, your respiratory system actually acts like a humidifier so that your body can be warm and humid like it likes to be. Of course, that drains your hydration reserves as well. One study actually found that respiratory water loss after a full day of activity nearly doubled at freezing temperatures compared to the 70s. On top of that, when you're cold, you actually become less thirsty, possibly from blood vessel constrictions in the cold, which can trick the body into thinking the blood volume is higher than it is. In other words, it's cold out there. You probably need hydration. And electrolytes are so key for all of these cellular processes in your body, all of your energy production. It all requires electrolytes, but it can be hard to find electrolytes, which are clean, without unnecessary fillers, and which you can feel good about drinking. That's why I love Element. There's a reason I'm obsessed with it. There's a reason all you guys are as well. And like I said, I'm so excited because Element's new chocolate medley is here featuring chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. And this is a limited time, so you definitely want to stock up on these now. Plus, you can get a free gift with purchase when you purchase that chocolate medley or other Element electrolytes. That's right, you can get a free sample pack, eight single serving packets for free with any Element order. It's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. You can get yours at drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. That's drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast. By the way, those chocolates in that chocolate medley make delicious hot chocolates. And of course, as always, Element has a no questions asked refund, so you have nothing to lose. So go to drinklmnt.com slash ifpodcast to get your free electrolytes. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons 
reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 308 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. Hey, Melanie, how are you? I'm good. I want to tell you about something well, sort of fun that I did. And I'm super curious your thoughts on this type of experience. I know you have a lot of professional photos, obviously. How do you feel about doing photo shoots? Like, do you enjoy them? Do you not like them? Oh, come on. I'm an introvert. What do you think? <laughs> not a fan? Well, I mean, it's a necessary evil if you have to think about it that way. Like I have one plan for April and I think I finally found like a really amazing photographer who gets my aesthetic that I want. And so I'm very relaxed around her. I'm very comfortable, but no, I don't love it. Like not one bit. (laughs) And here's the thing, like, you know, in the context of having a website and social media and all these things, I mean, it's just a necessary part of the business, but As an introvert, it is not my favorite thing I do. Like I I spend an inordinate amount of time figuring out what to wear and what to do. It's just, it's a lot of time. How about you? Well, it's funny. So like historically acting is like what I do, which is very much an on-camera thing. And I was having a really long conversation with my friend about this last night and he couldn't understand because I, so I did a photo shoot yesterday and I've been needing I've been needing to get a lot of photos, especially now that I'm doing more and more press related stuff. Like I just need good photos for that. I think the hardest part, and you just, you mentioned it briefly, but finding a photographer that you're really comfortable with, I think is half the battle. So I ended up shooting with this woman. Actually, I can give her name because, so if you're in Atlanta, her name is Adrienne Louise Photography. And I haven't seen the photos yet. I mean, while taking the photos, I saw them small, like on the camera, but I think I'm going to be really happy with them. So I'm really excited about that. But what's interesting is, so like I can do selfies because you see yourself, like you, so I can like pose. I can do acting because I'm not thinking about what I look like. But with photo shoots, I find it so stressful because like I'm not acting, I'm not doing a selfie, so I can't see myself and I can't make my selfie face when I can't see myself for some reason. Like I make a different face. So the way around it and oh my goodness. So my trick around it is that if I have a mirror on the set, so like if I can see myself in the mirror while they're taking the photos, I can do a lot better. Or if there's not a mirror, I hold 
my mirror in my hand. And so right before she takes the photos, I like pose like my selfie pose. And then I like look at the camera and that works really well for me. And I use, I'm just reflecting on how much this is like a first world problems thing. So (laughs) I, I used to feel really subconscious about doing that because I've been doing that for years. And then people might be tuning out by now. Paris Hilton, who takes like a lot of really, you know, legit, amazing photo shoots. I found a video of her talking and she's talking about how she does the same thing, that she has to have a mirror on the set because that's the only way she can pose. And then I felt so vindicated. I was like, okay, this is a completely normal habit. I could have my mirrors on the set and um, do my selfie pose and then take the photo. So that's my, that is my suggestion to listeners. If they need to do a photo shoot and they find that they can take photos of themselves, but they can't with a photographer, just bring your phone and pretend you're taking a selfie and then look at the camera <laughs> and you're good to go. But I'm really, really happy with how it turned out. We, we shot at a studio that was super cool. It was like all white and they had all these different sets, like a fireplace and a bed and a kitchen. So I think I got a lot of content And I think I'm just going to book more sessions with her for ongoing. So, but I was so stressed about it. Like, I don't know. I don't know if you get stressed leading up to them. I don't. I I think because I've done, I've done this so much that I know I've got characteristic things that we took my last set of photos in my neighborhood and in my house. Cause I have all white, like very, I have a very clean design aesthetic. And so it, it really was great backdrop for, the photos. And so we were talking about options. She's going to, she doesn't live in the state I'm in, but she's actually going to come in for the photos again. But I trust her implicitly. But I think a lot of it's just feeling comfortable. And for me, like, I'm not like a selfie person. That's just not my, I think a lot of it's the introversion, introverted side of myself. It's not a lack of confidence. It's just, you know, much like I, I wasn't doing IG live while I was in on vacation was that, you know, there, there has to be like a separation, like some degree of privacy in my life. And so I, I accept that photos are, are part of the brand and the marketing and the business. And I'm glad that you found someone you felt so comfortable with and you had a really good experience. And speaking to the, the self-conscious piece, I am still very self-conscious about selfies. I think because they feel, they feel very egocentric. You know, they're just like, look at me. Every time I take a selfie, I feel like I have this ego issue around it, like where I feel like it's very stuck up. So I need to channel my sister. She's so good at it. She's like, what does it matter? Nobody cares. Just do you. Yeah. So the whole photography world is really, really interesting. So I'm glad to have that behind me. Anything new with you? No, just found out I'm speaking at an event that I applied for in December. So A4M is one of the functional medicine conferences, medical conferences. So I was just invited to speak, which is super exciting, which means I'll be in Florida in May, you know, talking about metabolic health, which is really my focus and my drive and, you know, ways to improve upon that. But I've been reading some really interesting research on individuals that are obese or overweight and are still insulin sensitive. And so I really pitched that concept because there's solid research talking about like, what are the predictors for individuals that will then go on to develop fulminant hyperinsulinemia, AKA insulin resistance? You know, what are the things that predict that that insulin sensitivity will be lost? And so that's been really interesting. And that's actually what I'm presenting about in, in Denver. So that's a very cool topic. It's really interesting because I think even as a clinician, we make assumptions that if you're obese, then you must have lost insulin sensitivity. And that's actually not the case in specific individuals. And some of it's age related, but there are key metrics that we can use to measure, like whether it's looking at, you know, fatty infiltration in the liver or looking at skeletal muscle. I mean, there's a lot of different metrics we can look at to determine whether or not someone is still insulin sensitive. It's interesting too. It's like on the flip side, you can have the opposite, you know, like the Asian population that tends to be thinner. The genotype. Yeah. Thinner, but they have the metabolic issues. Yeah. And it's interesting. So my, my cousin that I was with in London, she's a physician She's married to someone who is American, but is of Indian descent. And we were talking, because she's familiar with this thrifty genotype, we were talking about how, you know, 
her like views with her patients and talking to people is, you know, just don't assume that someone who's thin is still insulin sensitive because Southeast Asians and Asians, they have a, an ability to become insulin resistant at a much leaner mass than Americans. And so they suspect that some of it's related to that thrifty genotype. Yeah. I just, I find this all so fascinating. Awesome. Well, I wish you the best with all of that. Thank you. Super cool. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get 30% off one of my all-time favorite things for sleep ever. So did you know that your pillowcases can have truly anti-aging qualities for your skin, for your hair, and for your body? I am not making this up. Okay, so here is my silk pillowcase history. I started using silk pillowcases years ago. Here's the thing. It was hard to actually find silk pillowcases and budget. I wasn't sure what I was getting. The whole thing was just sort of sketchy and I never really had a great experience. Then I found Blissey. Blissey makes award-winning 100% mulberry silk pillowcases that are affordable and come in so many incredible patterns and colors. They are not satin. So that's one of the things. There are a lot of silk dupes on the market that are actually satin. Satin is made from synthetic fibers like polyester, aka plastic, while silk is a luxurious, all-natural, sustainable fiber. It's breathable. It's moisture wicking. It's gentle. I am all about sleep and sleeping cool is so important to me. Sleeping on silk is a game changer. It's like laying in a soft, comforting, cool cloud that just whisks you off to dreamland. When I travel or stay other places, I miss my Blissey silk pillowcases so much. Although actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm going to start bringing them with me when I travel. This is an in real time epiphany right here. I'm going to start doing that. Okay, this is exciting. And I originally got them because I heard they were great for your hair and skin. Oh my goodness, that is so true. Sleeping on silk actually reduces frizz, tangles, and prevents breakages. It does that by keeping the moisture in your hair and not putting rubbing, tension, and pressure on your skin. If you want to get your beauty rest, you need to be sleeping on silk pillowcases. Here's the other conundrum with silk pillowcases. When I would buy silk pillowcases in the past, the washing instructions were essentially the equivalent of don't wash them because silk is really delicate. Blissey is changing all of that. They are so high quality that they are machine washable and durable. Yes, I wash mine all the time and they still look the same as when I first bought them. It's really actually kind of crazy. They also make incredible presents. They come in adorable packaging that is gift ready. So if you need presents for birthdays, for holidays, stop stressing about that and get Blissey pillowcases. Everybody loves them. And yes, men love them too. Blissey was even the 2021 Good Housekeeping winner for Best Bedding and they've been featured in Oprah Daily, Allure, Glamour, Pop Sugar, and so much more. Blissey has over 1 million raving fans, and you could be next. And you can try it now risk-free for 60 nights. Yes, friends, risk-free. So if you don't like them, you can just send them back. But I don't think you'll want to do that, but just putting it out there. You can go to blissey.com slash ifpodcast and get an additional 30% off. Yes, additional. So if they're on sale, you still get that 30% off. That's B-L-I-S-S-Y dot com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to get an additional 30% off. Your skin and hair will thank you. Your sleep will thank you. Your body will thank you. I love Blissey. I am so excited to have them on this show. Blissey.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Shall we jump into questions for today? Yes. Okay. This is from Priya. Dear IF Podcast, I'm a lover of intermittent fasting and have tried it several times throughout my life, seeing the benefits. I was wondering what is the best time to exercise when you are doing intermittent fasting? I recently joined Spin Cycle in the morning and started having breakfast afterwards. I wish to fast until 12 p.m. as I normally do, but I don't know if it is unhealthy to not eat within one to two hours after exercising. Thank you so much for any advice and help, Priya. Awesome, Priya. Well, thank you so much for your question. And actually, last week, I was talking about how I recently interviewed Thomas DeLauer, and we talked, I know he talks a lot about this, and we talked about this in the interview as well. Yes, there are so many, and we've talked a lot about this on the show, but there are so many fears out there about exercise and eating and when you need to eat and do you need to eat before exercise to fuel it? Do you need to eat right after exercise to recover from it? The long story short about both of those questions, and I realize you're asking about after, but I will talk about both. The long story short is that 
eating before to fuel when you're fat adapted, not necessary typically. So especially with things like more fat burning mode type things. So, you know, lower steady state cardio and things like that. Even with weights and muscle, like using your muscles, you can do those in a fasted state as well. On the flip side with eating afterwards, no, you do not have to eat right after. And that was one of the things that Thomas talks about in his book is that right after eating, or sorry, right after exercising, you've really got this upregulated fat burning that if you eat right afterwards, if that's your goal, you're kind of, you know, shutting that off rather than continuing to burn fat after the exercise. So no, you don't have to eat right afterwards. And that would be for like the fat burning cardio type stuff. But then for the, so spin cycle, what she's doing for muscle building, you also actually don't have to eat right after the um, anabolic window for protein for muscle recovery is actually 24 hours. So the stimulus for the muscles that you activate from that exercise lasts for quite a while and you don't have to eat right afterwards. All of that said, major caveat, if you're a bodybuilder, if your thing is building muscle, if that's like what you do, they do have more tailored regimens surrounding protein intake. So if you have very specific goals, it might be a little bit different, but as for the everyday person, you don't need to eat right after. Your thoughts, Cynthia? I would 100% agree. And I've asked Gabrielle Lyon this several times about, you know, is there this anabolic window, this magic window after exercise? And I agree wholeheartedly. It's what you consume in a 24-hour period of time. And I think for anyone that's new to fasting, they may not exercise very effectively if they're not fat adapted in a fasted state. But I do find that it really depends for most women where they are in their menstrual cycle. They might be able to work out really intensely in their follicular phase and they may feel like when they head into their luteal phase, they just can't go you know, two to three plus hours after exercising. So I think part of it is just the awareness that you can exercise fasted if you're fat adapted, and then also understanding that you really want to fast for your menstrual cycle, especially as it pertains to exercise and when you should open up your feeding window. So glad you drew attention to that. Yes, that's something that you definitely know a ton about. Awesome. And then speaking of something you know a ton about, we have quite a few questions I'm just going to read all of them. They all involve birth control. So we're going to have a birth control talk. So first question is from, actually from Melanie, but not from me, a different Melanie. She wants to know the alternative forms of birth control. What are the pros and cons of each? Sarah wants to know, what do you think about copper IUDs? She says, I've had mine for seven years, but I want to get it removed. I've heard it can interfere with hormones, even though it doesn't contain hormones. Love to hear your thoughts. And then Terry says, we have heard a lot about PCOS, menopause, and perimenopause and fasting. What about those of us in their 30s and 40s who are still on birth control? Personally, I'm on Depo-Provera and 47. I've been clean fasting for two years. What is the effect of fasting on birth control? And also, what can a woman expect as they enter perimenopause years, but have no intention of going off of birth control. I don't want a perimenopause baby. I'm also happily married for the last seven years, and we have both made the choice that children are not part of our lives. We have tons of nieces and nephews, love the show, and I've been a listener since starting IF two years ago. All right, birth control. This is the birth control trifecta. So first and foremost, there is no shame in Utilizing birth control, whether you are peak fertile years or perimenopause, heading into menopause. And so I think the real thing is to identify like what have been the birth control methods that I think women have had the easiest time tolerating without too much inconvenience. And I would say number one, the copper IUD seems to be really well tolerated. Obviously, it's not a forever item. It does have to be explanted and then a new one implanted. I would say, you know, in terms of ease of use, I'm not going to be a teetotaler here and say, okay, every woman needs to use condoms. I, I think that that probably works for some people. Obviously, diaphragms and cervical caps, sponges, suppositories, there are some 
options that include, you know, they call it FAMS or fertility awareness methods. And obviously DAISY is one of them. It's a tracker that tells you when you are most fertile. I have found that that has been very helpful for a lot of people. But if you don't have particularly regular cycles, I think an IUD, a copper IUD non-hormonal is a nice option. But I think it it really comes down to what interests you. I know that there are a lot of women still in perimenopause that are using oral contraceptives. Depo-Provera is birth control that's implanted usually in the arm. I haven't seen a lot of Depo-Provera used in the last you know five, 10 years, but that doesn't mean that it's not a reasonable option. But I think this really comes down to what stage of life you're in, what your your partner is willing to do, you know, vasectomies are pretty straightforward. And that's usually what I, I generally recommend if people don't want to be on hormones, they don't want to be having hormones implanted. And so I really think it comes down to life stage, decision-making, and working in conjunction with your GYN or your midwife or whomever you see for well women care to determine what works best for you. But there is absolutely positively no shame if you decide that you want to use synthetic hormones or oral contraceptives, that is certainly your your choice and your option. But I do like some of these other options that I identified. And I think a copper IUD might be one of my favorite options. And ironically enough, Huberman Lab, I was listening to one of his recent podcasts with Dr. Sarah Gottfried. And ironically enough, she was saying that's one of her favorite forms of contraception to recommend to women who have not yet gone through menopause. Wow. Does fasting specifically have any effect on any of it? On fertility? Oh, absolutely. No, on um, birth control. Terry wants to know, what is the effect of fasting on birth control? Well, I mean, there are a couple different things that fasting can impact, and it can absolutely impact fertility. So if you're over fasting, it could diminish the likelihood that you are going to get pregnant. You know, I remind women that even if you're choosing not to have children, if you're not eating enough food, if you're over fasting, over exercising, over restricting, you can send very powerful messages to your brain that can cause you to lose your menstrual cycle entirely. There are some pretty widespread effects of not having adequate estrogen levels in your body during peak bone and muscle mass building years. And so I, I think that in the context of someone who's eating a healthy diet, even if they're fasting, they're not over-exercising, they're taking care of themselves. Fasting can be a nice strategy, but it's impossible for me to say in the context of Terry's situation, what her fasting schedule may be doing to her particular menstrual cycle or her fertility because she's not my patient. So I think that's probably a conversation worth having with her GYN or her primary care provider. I would say that more often than not, when I see women that are getting closer to menopause, so she's 47, so kind of the end stage of, towards the end stage, mid to end stage of perimenopause, that there are things that you can look for. But obviously, if you're on oral contraceptives or you're on Depo-Provera, it would make those labs harder to interpret. Gotcha. 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 I learned a lot. All of my thoughts surrounding this question are not really helpful about the actual question. They're just my thoughts on issues relating or on things that happen related to birth control. Like I, I was actually on birth control. I was put on birth control in high school for acne. So common. And just looking back, I just don't know that that's the route I would have gone. Like I don't, I don't know that that was the best thing for me. I don't think they make Yaz anymore. Yeah, Yaz is probably gone. It's interesting because I was someone that probably had very mild PCOS. Like I never had regular cycles, but you know, back in the 80s and 90s, everyone got put on oral contraceptives. So you missed the opportunity to really fully understand what they were doing. And now you have a whole generation of women who missed out on peak bone and muscle mass. I think that a lot of women, if they had been fully, if they had received fully informed consent, I wish I had because I've been osteopenic for, you know, intermittently throughout my adult lifetime. And my functional medicine doc and I believe pretty fervently that a lot of it was many years of being on oral contraceptives where you're kept in a very low estrogen, low progesterone, and you're receiving synthetic hormones kept in a state that really potentially could have exacerbated, you know, missing out on those opportunities to really be build peak bone and muscle mass. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. 
I mean, just looking back at my experience, and I know this is hard to understand now because I'm very thin now, but just if you look at my high school pictures from before being on the birth control and then going on the birth control, I mean, I rapidly gained a, a lot of weight and like you can really see it. And, you know, just like it was doing something hormonally. I don't think I needed to be experiencing that, especially not for, you know, the purpose of acne, which I don't know. I just think it's a, it's an issue. Although I, there's probably, like you said, there's probably much more awareness surrounding it now, maybe with like teenagers and acne. Do you know if there's still, if that's still a thing? Yeah, I think it's still being used off label for that. And and I think the other piece is how many women come to me as clients that are on oral contraceptives in the latter stages of perimenopause and even into menopause who are terrified to stop because they've been on it for so long, including my best friend from high school who is still on the pill. And I keep telling her, I'm like, you are probably in menopause. <laughs> but I think that's for many people, they've just been on it for forever and they don't, they don't know any differently. I was on it until, gosh, until I was married and then I went off and then I just expected getting pregnant to be really easy. And, you know, I, I really think the pill masked, you know, what was always probably there that I had mild PCOS. Like I have thin phenotype PCOS. And so it, oh, it's a whole rabbit hole. Wow. 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 There you go, listeners. You got a whole bunch of TMI. I thought that was very helpful. Very educational. Thank you. Alrighty. So shall we go on to our next question? Yes. And this is from Alani. This is one of the AMA questions. Would you please, please, please provide a list of the vitamins and supplements that you take daily or weekly? Just curious. Okay. Two hesitations about this question. <laughs> one, I know this might come as a surprise. Well, actually, it might not because I say it a lot. But for those who have not heard me say it before, it might come as a surprise because I have a supplement line. That said, I actually think in the dream world, we would get the majority of our nutrients from food and we wouldn't even need supplements. Now, I actually am going to go down a rabbit hole that I see myself going down. Are you familiar with Marianne Nessel? So she wrote a book called Food Politics all about how the food industry affects mostly like dietary guidelines and consumer relations with food and you know how we are sold all these processed foods and stuff. I think she's like a really big deal. So she's one of those guests that I got connected to completely through a friend. Like a friend was just like, you should interview her. And I was like, okay, she's so cool. Like Time Magazine, Time Magazine named her like a while ago because it was when What's Her Name was had not fallen from grace. Elizabeth Holmes. It's when Elizabeth Holmes was on the rise. Time Magazine named her Elizabeth Holmes and like two like Nobel Prize people or something as having the most impact on something related to health and everything, which is very cool. So the reason I'm talking about all this, she talks about, this blew my mind because I'm reading her, her memoir just came out. So that's why I'm interviewing her. I think she's like in her 80s maybe now. She talks about when she first had her epiphany about how the dietary recommendations were created for like for vitamins and stuff. And it's shocking. Like she went and actually like read the actual studies. And it's like when they went and decided these recommendations for every vitamin, that hasn't changed. Like the recommendations haven't really changed. They're based on like like the two examples she gave was I think maybe B12. What was it? It was one of the B vitamins and then I don't know, one other vitamin. It was literally like an insane asylum, a very small amount of patients, and giving them the adequate amount, I think it might have been like niacin, giving them the adequate amount of this nutrient versus not, and did it improve their behavior? Like literally, it's the, like the most awfully constructed, inconclusive study ever. Like you have like a very small amount of patients with mental health issues and you're going to evaluate, do they have more or less mental health issues if they're getting this more of this nutrient? That's a whole tangent. I've, I've been learning a lot from her books. She's basically the reason that there is now like nutrition policy type related studies and stuff in college. So I've really been enjoying her books. That was a whole tangent. So the, the point, oh, I think the point of it was that 
Oh, and I've also interviewed Chris Masterjohn, and we talked a lot about the RDAs and stuff. And it's just very interesting vitamins. That's the point of all this. Vitamins are interesting in what is proposed to us as to what we need, and is it too much? Is it too little? Some vitamins, depending on what type they are, can actually store up, so there's a potential for toxicity. Some vitamins and minerals most people are probably deficient in, like magnesium. And then just the supplement industry in general, I think has, oh, that's something else she talks about a ton is like the regulations of the supplement industry versus the food industry and how that all works. The supplement industry in general is just very, I just don't really trust it, which is a reason that I think both Cynthia and I started. I mean, at least I I don't want to speak for you, Cynthia, but that's a, a main reason that I started mine is I just don't really trust anything on the market. And so I wanted to feel good about what I was putting in my body. That's my big like disclaimer before answering this. Oh, and then the second disclaimer is that hands down, what I take is not a plan that everybody should take. We are so individual. So people have really got to find what they need and what works for them. And it's all unique. So when I give my examples and if Cynthia gives hers, please don't copy us verbatim, please. So first of all, when it comes to vitamins, I would actually do testing for things like fat-soluble vitamins to see where you're at with them. So especially something like vitamin D, I think a lot of people, if not most people, are deficient but that's something that you actually can test. And for example, I kind of like, I went through a period where I was like, I'm going to get all the vitamin D. And I found with using Inside Tracker that I often get high with vitamin D because I kind of go overboard. But I do take some vitamin D. I used to take methylated B vitamins. I don't anymore. Nutrient-wise though, magnesium. Magnesium, I think it's so important. I, I really think it's the one mineral that most people are deficient in. So that's why I made my magnesium eight, which is eight different forms of magnesium in their most you know, potent form with no problematic fillers. That's the Avalon X magnesium eight. So I take that. I also take a lot of magnesium, not for the vitamin potential, but for the bowel moving potential because I tend to, I'll get constipation. So I find that taking magnesium citrate individually can really help. Also, there's this, it's called MAG007. I really want to make my own version of it. So stay tuned. I plan to, but in the meantime, I take it because it's really good to help keep things moving along. I'm trying to think like other vitamin nutrient, like nutrient wise. In the past, I took some selenium. I don't anymore. I really like energy bits for their, like so spirulina chlorella for their broad spectrum minerals and vitamins. I also plan to make my own of that as well. So stay tuned. The supplements I really, really take that I love. Obviously, I'm obsessed with my serapeptase. Like I've been taking that every single day for years and years and years. And I'm just really happy because the version I've made is so much better than what I was taking. And so that's a proteolytic enzyme that breaks down problematic proteins and can help with inflammation and clear your sinuses and reduce cholesterol. It's even been shown to break down amyloid plaque. When Jen was hosting the show, she took it to get rid of her fibroids. So I I love that. I take berberine every day. Oh, this was something I wanted to share. Oh, okay. I'm glad we're talking about this. This was an update I had. So I've been taking berberine for a while now, and I've worn a lot of CGMs while taking berberine. I actually started taking berberine one of the first times that I wore a CGM because I wanted to see how it affect my blood sugar levels. And so I used to take Thorn. And so I was taking it and I did see an effect on my fasting blood sugar levels since which I'm so excited and happy about this. So because when I made my own version, I knew that it would be the highest of purity, the highest of potency. It wouldn't have problem like fillers. It's in a glass bottle. So it's the berberine that I wanted to be taking. I wasn't sure if I would see any difference though on my actual blood sugar levels. So like, I'm honestly shocked. I wore a CGM and it was the first time wearing it while taking my brand of berberine. So Avalon X berberine 500, my postprandial blood sugar levels are consistently down by 20 points, which is shocking to me. I mean, it shouldn't be because (laughs) that's what berberine can help with. It was really shocking for me to see that intense of a difference. And it's very consistent. So historically, after I would eat my meal, because I eat a very high carb meal every night, like pounds of fruit. And so historically, my blood sugar would go from before eating, it would usually be in the 70s or 80s. 
And then it would bump up to anywhere between the 120s, 130, sometimes like 140. Now it rarely goes above 110, maybe up to 120. But the average is probably a reduction of 20 points. So I, I mean, I'm like blown away by this. So that's something I take every day. And then I'm just running through my head. Is there anything else? Um, oh, I take Autrantil still every day. That's amazing for if you have digestive issues. It really, really helps me. You can get it at lovemytummy.com slash IFP. It was created by Dr. Ken Brown, who I've had on my show way back in the day. Wow, that makes my show feel really old because I feel like it was forever ago that I interviewed him. But he made Atrantil. It's like a combination of different all-natural like herbal things, polyphenols that actually specifically attack the type of bacteria that's connected to SIBO, so the methane-producing bacteria. Actually, I don't think it's bacteria. I think it's archaebacteria, which are actually not bacteria. I think they're a, um, a different type of they're archaea. They're a different type of organism. But in any case, it can really help with that, especially if you have something like SIBO and it can help with motility issues. So I love that. There is something else that I'm forgetting. I'm going through in my head my, oh, of course, at night, I also take NMN as long as it's on the market to support NAD levels. And then I also do NAD injections once a week that I really like. And then ever since interviewing Nayan Patel for his book, The Glutathione Revolution, I've been taking his glutathione spray. I mean, he really, <laughs> he really convinced me about not only the benefits of glutathione, but also that glutathione, liposomal glutathione is probably completely a waste of money, as is glutathione drips, as is glutathione pushes. Like it doesn't actually get into the cells. It just is like in and out with the bloodstream. And I understand that he has a book and a supplement line, so it could be biased. I found his research and the interview very convincing. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. On top of that, I asked my friend James Clement, who I really, really trust, who has a a lab where he studies the blood work of centenarians. And he as well said that it's basically useless to do glutathione drips or glutathione pushes. So save your money friends, because those are expensive. So I take the RO wellness glutathione spray. So if you go to melanieavalon.com slash RO, A-U-R-O, and use the coupon code melanieavalon, that will get you 5% off site-wide. So I take that every single night. It does smell like sulfur. I use it at night, not during the day for that reason. I think it's probably very beneficial for boosting glutathione levels. And then, oh, and then of course I... This is not vitamins, but it is a supplement. I really, really benefit from digestive enzymes and HCL for digestive support. I It helps me so much. And that is something else I plan to develop in the future. I might think of more things, but I think that's the main things. But you can get my magnesium, my berberine, and the serapeptase all at avalonx.us. Coupon code Melanie Avalon will get you 10% off. You can get a 20% off code if you text Avalon X to 877-861-8318 and definitely get on the email list because I do a lot of sales and specials and all the things. And that is at avalonx.us slash email list. That was long. Cynthia, how about you? That was very comprehensive. Thank you for sharing that for brevity, because I'm I'm sure that there are no listeners that want to hear the multiplicity of things I take. I think the most important thing to really emphasize is that it's nutrition first and then supplements. And so maybe it would be beneficial to share the things that I take at night. These are things that help support sleep. I would say first and foremost, progesterone, which is prescription. I have mine compounded. Progesterone is what is really a starting point for a lot of women navigating perimenopause when our ovaries are producing less. We get the byproduct of less circulating progesterone impacts sleep quality, impacts anxiety and depression if you're prone to that. It also impacts our menstrual cycle. So we get this relative estrogen dominance. So for me, progesterone is critically important at night. And I'm starting to see more clinicians that are not just using this the week prior to the menstrual cycle, even in menopausal women, they're you know, they're, they're cycling it throughout the quote unquote month, but obviously a menopausal woman doesn't have a cycle. So progesterone is number one. There's a product called myo-inositol. And I really, I've been using this as a sleep piece, 
but myoinositol also is beneficial for blood sugar, but we know that it helps with you know, induction of sleep. It helps stay asleep. Even Huberman Lab talks about how he uses this as part of his sleep stack. So Maya inositol powder prior to bedtime, you may see research on this with regard to insulin resistance, so PCOS, but there's really solid research using it in otherwise metabolically healthy individuals as well. I think quite a bit about GABA and L-theanine GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. I don't per se take GABA and L-theanine every day. Really just depends on what my stress levels are like. I take things like Serifos, which is phosphylsterine. This is a special type of, of healthy fat that is beneficial for brain function, but also helps reduce cortisol. So if you are having a super stressful week, I've done quite a bit of travel over the last week. You better believe I was taking Serifos <laughs> while I was on the airplane and also my first night home from London. And then I think about adaptogenic herbs, things that can be beneficial. I think about ashwagandha. I think about rhodiola rosea. I think about relora. I don't use all of them together. I create a cocktail based on my own needs each night depending on what has to be facilitated. But I would say those are those are pretty commonly that in conjunction with melatonin. Now, I'm menopausal. So after the age of 40, our bodies start making less and less melatonin. It is also a master antioxidant. It's not just a hormone. I've interviewed many physicians on the podcast that do recommend supplementation with melatonin after the age of 40. Again, if you have concerns about this, I would discuss this with your primary care provider, GYN, et cetera. I also think about creatine. Creatine, it's one of the reasons why it was one of the first supplements that I created. Very helpful for maintaining muscle mass, but also helpful for brain support and cognition and sleep quality. And so creatine is always a part of my daily sleep stack. And no, I don't take it prior to bed. I take it during the day. But I think it's really important to just emphasize that Every person listening, the sleep foundations are still really important. So getting sunlight exposure, sleeping in a cold, dark room, wearing a sleep mask if you need it, getting off electronics, wearing blue blockers if you need to be on electronics, you know, having some type of strategy for bedtime, that's more important than taking supplements. Now, I've mentioned my favorites, and obviously, for full transparency, creatine is a product that I created in conjunction with MD Logic. I fervently believe in the the feedback has been phenomenal, and you know, from my perspective, it's important for people to understand that sourcing of supplements is very important. So you don't want to just go to Amazon and order a bunch of things. You want to make sure that you are getting pharmaceutical grade supplements, and that's where I think less is more. Meaning, not everyone can afford to be on. 40, 50 supplements every day. That's why the nutrition is important. The lifestyle piece is important. And then layering in things that you need. And certainly, you know, I think about, you know, hormones, if they're needed, there's no shame in that. So progesterone definitely helps with sleep. You know, I do fervently believe that estradiol, which is the predominant form of estrogen our body makes prior to going through perimenopause and menopause, and also testosterone can be helpful. But always in the context of what your body needs and getting proper testing and working with clinicians that are able to interpret testing so that they can fine-tune and bio-individualize your recommendations. I also take Athletic Greens, or AG1 is its new name, and it's really been a great way to get more comprehensive vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics into my diet and to not have to think about multiple supplements. So it's something that I can use in my feeding window, in a shake, or even just added to filtered water, makes it really easy. And I can get my kids to take it too, willingly, because it tastes really good. So that has been something I've incorporated into my supplement regimen over the last several years. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that as well. Just a quick comment about Athletic Greens, because I historically have not taken Athletic Greens. After hearing you talk about it, and then I feel like Joe Rogan talks about it a lot, as does Rich Roll. I've been like, oh, maybe I maybe I should start taking it. So if I do, I'll definitely report back because it seems to be a pretty cool way to get a broad spectrum of, you know, vitamins and minerals really easily. The, the reason I haven't is I'm I'm like such a sensitive butterfly to things that it has a lot of things in it. And so I've been like, oh, what if I react to it? But I should I should probably like at least try it and see see how it goes. 
And I would do like a little bit at a time. You know, I for me, I can't do it every day because of the oxalates, but I do two to three days a week and I travel with them because I always feel like if I'm traveling, I'm probably not getting the variety of foods in my diet that I would if I were home. And if I can get my kids to take it on occasion, that says a lot because it, it tastes, it actually tastes good without being sugary. And so I've probably tried every greens powder that's out there. Most of them, it's like trying to eat grass. I'm like, no, can't do this. Yeah. I think that's the other thing for me is I'm, like I said, severely allergic to grass, but I want to try it. So maybe I'll use our link. So you can actually get, I think, unless their offer has changed when this airs, but you can actually get a free one-year supply of vitamin D. Oh, that's cool because I was saying that I take vitamin D. I actually have been taking their vitamin D because they sent it to me. And five free travel packs with your first purchase. So for that, you can go to athleticgreens.com slash ifpodcast. So definitely check that out. So glad that you emphasized and that we're on the same page about the nutrition first, food first, lifestyle stuff first for the sleep things. I actually as well use progesterone. I use a progesterone cream. When I was first prescribed it, I was taking it orally, but I've been doing a cream ever since and I really benefit from that. I also, another sleep one I wanted to mention, I really like Dr. Kirk Parsley's sleep remedy. He formulated it to have all of the ingredients that your brain naturally needs to fall asleep. He he formulated it after working with being a doctor for the Navy SEALs and realizing that they all had these issues and the one common, and by issues, I mean like health issues and then as well as like mental health. He realized that the common factor was that none of them were sleeping. That's why he developed Sleep Remedy. So it has, it's a proprietary blend, but it has four or five different things that naturally help your body fall asleep. So if you go to melanieavalon.com slash sleep remedy, the coupon code melanieavalon will get you a discount on that. Oh, and also just as a teaser related to it, my magnesium three and eight is coming. It's going to be the next supplement actually by the time this airs, because this airs March 13th, it might be out, which will be crazy. So if it's out, really quick education surrounding it. I didn't include magnesium 3 and 8 in the original magnesium 8 blend because magnesium 3 and 8 is a special type of magnesium that specifically crosses the blood-brain barrier, and it can have effects on relaxation and sleep and mood and memory, and you need a high therapeutic dose to get those benefits. So I couldn't realistically include it in the magnesium 8 blend. I could put it in there and like say, oh, it has magnesium 3 and 8, but you wouldn't actually be getting the benefits. So of course I don't, of course, of course I'm not going to do that. But then on top of that, some people might want to, you know, for those benefits like memory, mood, sleep, relaxation, have a targeted specific magnesium for that. So my magnesium 3 and 8 nightcap hopefully might be coming out around this time. Hopefully you're getting the email list updates at avalonx.us slash email list. Yeah, all of that just to, again, end with lifestyle and diet first. And how can listeners get your supplements, Cynthia? Probably the best way is to be on the general email list. So if you go to www.cynthiatherlow.com on the main page, you can opt in. And very likely by the time this comes out, we will have started to talk about my next supplement, which will be myo-inositol, or to make it less of a mouthful, inositol. It'll be another powder. We're really excited about it. I've gotten tremendous feedback. People are really looking forward to the next supplement in our line. Awesome. So we will put links to all of that in the show notes. Hi, friends. We are so honored to be sponsored in part today by Nutrisense. You guys hear us talk about continuous glucose monitors, aka CGMs, all the time on this show. And in particular, we love Nutrisense, and here is why. Nutrisense not only provides a 24-7 moving picture of your glucose values, they also offer a unique opportunity for self-discovery. So imagine this. You have a meal, and then you notice a spike in your glucose levels. So you think, hmm, that didn't go well. But here's the magic. Tomorrow, you can make a simple change. You can swap whatever you were eating for something else. Now you have real-time data to evaluate the impact. Maybe instead of that fruit, you have some vegetables. Maybe instead of that oatmeal, you have some yogurt. Maybe instead of that steak, you have some fruit. The continuous feedback loop that you can get with a Nutrisense CGM empowers you to make quick, informed iterations with your meals. 
Maybe the change results in a completely normal glucose level, or maybe it's still a little bit high, but significantly better. Armed with this knowledge, you can refine your choices further, rapidly steering your glucose values back to the normal range. Without a continuous glucose monitor, honestly, you're just guessing and assuming that what you're doing is working. And when you go test your blood sugar levels at the doctor, that's just a snapshot of that one moment in time. It's not telling you what actually was happening throughout the day all the time. What makes NutriSense truly transformative is its ability to create lasting habits and intrinsic motivation. So instead of relying on generic advice from professionals or online sources or us, you have personalized real-time data from your own body. When you see the direct impact of your choices, it will resonate on a whole new level. This newfound awareness becomes the driving force, making it easier than ever to stay motivated and committed to your health journey. I promise you friends, it's like opening your eyes to the secret to lasting change because it gives you this empowering knowledge that you just didn't have before. So if you're looking to take charge of your health, gain real insights into your body and make sustainable, positive changes, NutriSense is your ultimate partner. Join them and us on this journey of discovery and unlock your full health potential. Get started today at NutriSense.com slash podcast and receive a $30 discount off of your first month, which includes two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support. That's nutrisense.com slash IF podcast for a $30 discount off your first month with two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support, which by the way, I get a lot of feedback on just how helpful that nutritionist support is. It's so easy. You can talk to them in real time in the app and they can really help you make sense of all the data that you receive from your continuous glucose monitor. NutriSense.com slash podcast. And I am just so grateful to NutriSense for helping support today's show. So I think we have time for one more question. This was also one of our AMA questions. It's from Amy. She wants to know, can you talk about seeds that help with hormones? So I know seed cycling is a whole thing. I know, Cynthia, you talk about it in your book, Intermittent Fasting Transformation, Do you have thoughts on seeds? Yeah. And and the one thing that I can tell you, these are ways that you can help support your body in multiple ways, but there's no like hard and fast research. Like I can't tell you that there's been a randomized controlled trial on this. This is just observational. And so the way that it works is the first 14 days of your cycle from the day you start menstruating up until ovulation, you can use both flax seeds and pumpkin seeds. And these are supposed to be supportive for estrogen metabolism. And then days 15 through 28, again, we're looking at this as kind of a broad, you know, this is a perfect menstrual cycle. You can use sunflower seeds and sesame seeds. And one to two tablespoons is generally what I recommend of the seeds, understanding that these are healthy fats, but they are also calorically dense. So don't go overboard. If you're someone that's trying to lose weight, I would probably, you know, lean towards one tablespoon each. Usually fresh ground is what you want. You don't want to buy previously ground flax seeds. Flax seeds are actually very delicate. And as an example, they need to be refrigerated. So I typically recommend like keep them in your refrigerator and then grind them as you need them. But Seed cycling is probably a good thing to utilize. I do go into greater depth about these processes in the book, but this is kind of a a different way of looking at it. Now, women will always say, if I don't get a regular menstrual cycle or I'm in perimenopause and my cycles are really long, I always say cycle with the moon. So if there's a full moon, use that as day one. And that's when you would use pumpkin and flax seeds from day one through 14. And then day 15 through 28, which would be you know, from 14 days after the full moon until the next full moon, you would consume sunflower seeds and sesame seeds. And if you're, again, looking to lose weight, I would be conservative with portions and really limit it to one tablespoon each. Awesome. I'm really interested by it, but I have not personally, I have not done any of it. So I cannot speak to it. Yeah. I just get, I mean, I remember even back when I was still cycling, I would, I was never organized enough. I was kind of like, well, (laughs) if I remember great, I mean, these are great healthy fats. You can add them to salads. You could conceivably, you know, put them in a smoothie and grind them down, but you know, don't let it be a source of stress, but you know, ultimately understanding what's going on physiologically with your body is certainly important. And there's no food source that's going to replace your hormones. Like, I think that's important for people to understand. Unfortunately, I think there's been 
you know, misinformation out there saying, oh, if you eat this food, it's going to support, you know, it's going to be all you need for progesterone. It doesn't really work that way. You can consume foods that are beneficial in certain times of your cycle, absolutely, but there's no food that's going to replace that hormone. So I think it's important just to say that. I'm very much an optimist. I'm very much a, a person that that respects people's personal decision-making, but I just want to be transparent and say there's no like significant research in this area, but I don't think these things are going to be harmful, and it's a good way to get in some healthy fats. I love that. Well, I said that was our last one, but I think we have time for one more. Next question is from Kara. Subject is cayenne pepper and other spices. Hi, girls. My question is, is a hint of cayenne pepper, ginger powder, or cinnamon sprinkled in water still considered clean fasting? Will it break my fast? I'm new to intermittent fasting and have noticed that spicy flavors like cayenne pepper and ginger sprinkled in hot water curbs my habitual hunger cues when first starting out on IF. Plus, they each serve several health benefits to the body. However, I don't want to lose the effects of the fast, specifically fat loss. Thank you, Kara. All right, Kara. Thank you so much for your question. So I know people are going to have different opinions on this. I actually, did she include cinnamon? She did include cinnamon. Because I know a lot of people are big fans of cinnamon while fasting for reducing blood sugar and things like that. I personally find just from a theoretical perspective, these very flavor intense things, I would not have them while fasting. So the pepper, the ginger, the cinnamon, I would include them with your meals. And I did go on a really intense research tangent in the past. I was really curious about the effects on these compounds on weight loss. The research was very interesting. There actually is a lot of research on pepper and ginger and stuff, increasing metabolism. And what's interesting is people will often make the takeaway. They'll be like, oh, but it doesn't realistically make a change because it's, you know, only leads to X amount of calories extra burned. And like, you know, what is that doing? But I think there is something to the modulating power of if you're making your meals, you know, rich in ginger and pepper and spice, then they're becoming a more thermogenic meal in general. So I don't know that we can just look at it at like, oh, you're, you're going to burn X amount of calories extra if you eat ginger or pepper. I don't think it necessarily manifests that way. I, I think it might be a more holistic effect of having more, like I said, thermogenic type meals. But as far as it goes with the fasting, I personally consider them breaking the fast. I know, again, again, like I said, I know a lot of people really like cinnamon for lowering blood sugar. That's just my thoughts. That said. <laughs> to like undo what I just said. I think if people find a fasting window that works for them and they have a diet and a lifestyle that's working for them and the food that's working for them and maybe they're, you know, having these things during their fast and like it's, everything's just working, like who am I to say not to do that? You really have to find what works for you. Even if that's not a quote, straight up quote, clean fast, which I know might be a little bit of a controversial answer. But Cynthia, what are your thoughts? Well, Kara, thank you for the great question. Based on my research, and I do talk about this in the book, cinnamon in particular will improve insulin sensitivity. So I wouldn't worry about that. And this is obviously, Melanie and I will will respectfully agree to disagree on this. And based on the research that I have read, cayenne pepper and ginger can upregulate autophagy. And so I wouldn't be fearful. Cayenne pepper you know, the, the cayenne pepper that someone else has distilled and, and created, you know, a spice from, I think that, you know, one thing that I have learned is that when you're looking at research and you're considering things that can be very beneficial for, as you said, you know, the hot water curbs your hunger cues and you're first starting out, you know, more power to you. If you're enjoying cayenne pepper and ginger, cause they can both be pretty spicy. I think that's certainly fine, but from the context of wanting to help upregulate fat loss. I'm not per se sure that they're helping with that, but certainly if you're struggling to fast longer and you're finding that the ginger and cayenne pepper is helpful for that, I think that's absolutely fine. In fact, when it pertains to cinnamon, this is usually something I will recommend as people are transitioning from a fatty coffee or if they're transitioning from milk in their coffee to understand that cinnamon will help change the flavor profile, much like if you add high-quality salt like Redmond's to the coffee, it'll help adjust the bitterness profile 
Don't be afraid of bitter. Bitter is actually beneficial. It means there's a lot of polyphenols. There's a lot of plant-based compounds that have a ton of health benefits. So from my perspective, I wouldn't worry about cinnamon. And I certainly think if you're transitioning to fasting and you're struggling a bit with longer fasts, I don't think the cayenne pepper or ginger should be things that you need to worry about. Yeah. And to that point, I will say, I think the majority of people, maybe me and Jen and I aside, <laughs> I've seen a lot what you just said. I know Thomas DeLauer talks about it. I know Ari Witten talks a lot about it. You talk about it. So I think it's all really great. That was very educational. And I really want people to find what works for them. So, you know, more power to people if they're doing that and it's working and they're getting all those benefits that you discussed. So thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the great question. Awesome. So, well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you would like to submit your own question for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. The show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 308. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. Then you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I'm Melanie Avalon. Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow underscore. And yes, I think that is all the things. Anything from you, Cynthia, before we go? No, keep the great questions coming. I'm really enjoying the variety that everyone is asking of us. And it doesn't have to just be fasting related. Likewise, I cannot agree more. Okie dokie. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.